A Rich Tradition College Football Podcast is now live. Hello and welcome to A Rich Tradition College Football Podcast. I'm Spencer Van Horn. He's Robbie Stonepole. Two friends, one love, and that is college football. Roberto is actually out for this week's episode, so we'll have a solo uh, go with uh, myself as Roberto and his lovely wife, Lisa, who is also a good friend of mine, is uh, welcoming in their uh, newest addition to the family, so their newest addition to the um, uh, not only the Stilton Pole family, but also uh, our family here on the uh, Rich Tradition College Football Podcast, so uh, we welcome Benjamin Grayson to Earth. Welcome pal. And I know uh, Lisa and Rob are super excited, so we'll let Rob tell us more about uh, good old Benjamin when he returns. Uh, hopefully this weekend he'll be able to uh, to hop on with us and uh, stay for a little while. So uh, excited for Benjamin, excited for Lisa and Robbie and Elijah as well. So I um, hope everybody's doing well there in the Stelton Pole household a poet and I didn't know it. So uh, a good week for week seven. We've got, I'm, I almost written, wrote down 10 games. I actually went back through the list to see if I could find a 10th game, but we ended up with nine uh, to pick for the week. I'm sure I could have thrown in a 10th game. Houston and West Virginia just got done with a wild one on Thursday night, the night that we're recording. Apologies for uh, the late record, but, um, Either way, it is what it is, uh, but those two finished up with a big matchup there on Thursday night, and uh, I think there are a couple of other sort of mid-major type games going on on Saturday. Group of five, undefeated group of fives. I think it's Marshall and somebody else that's doing battle, and again, I don't have it right in front of me. Apologies. All right, so uh, diving in with our games to discuss, we've got about four games to discuss, so we'll get right into it. Texas A&M at Tennessee. I do have Robbie's picks, by the way, and I have them in front of me. They are highlighted and ready to go. I have it written down on several sheets of paper. Don't forget Rob's picks. Rob's picks. I've got Rob's picks written all over the place to remind me so that I don't forget to announce Rob's picks, because apparently last time on the solo show, I forgot Robbie's predictions and got chastised for it for about a week uh, after that. So I can't have that happen, and I'm ready to go with Rob's picks for week seven. All right, Texas A&M and Tennessee. Actually, one of the one of the sheets of paper, one of uh, in terms of my notes, one of the shorter sets of notes. Uh, this has been a, uh, I believe, sort of a very short rivalry between these two teams. Or actually, a, a short series. I wouldn't call it a rivalry. Just uh, two and two. The series is tied. So only four meetings between uh, Texas A and M and Tennessee. Tennessee won the first two matchups three to nothing on a neutral site back in 1957, and then won 38 to seven on January 1st of 2005. So from 57 to 2005, uh, and then the last two meetings have actually gone to Texas A and M 45-38 on the 16th of October, or excuse me, the 8th of October in 2016. And then Texas A&M won in 2020, 34 to 13. 
I think we could have a similar score to that last meeting in 2020 here this weekend between these two teams. Tennessee is the ranked opponent, and they're hosting. They're in Knoxville as the number 19 team in the country. Joe Milton is going to be the key to this ballgame if Tennessee's going to win it. Joe Milton's got to play at a higher level than what he's done so far this season. And I don't think that comes as any great big surprise to anybody. I don't think that's going to come as any great big surprise, especially to uh, Tennessee fans. We've been harping on it all postseason long. We've kept small tabs on it as the season has gone by. He had a decent performance in certain ways against South Carolina, their last outing, a win, a big win, 40 to 41 to 20, where he completed 65% of his passes, 239 yards, but he threw two interceptions. So again, when you think you're taking a step forward, maybe there's a little bit of a step back. Sometimes interceptions can be funky because maybe they don't cost you a whole lot. So it doesn't necessarily, um, again, it doesn't cost you a whole lot. So it doesn't cost the team. And you won 40 to 41 to 20. So again, maybe those don't um, terrorize the team too bad and they're able to absorb it. But is that going to be the case if you continue to do it? And of course, that's always uh, a scary thought is if, well, what if we keep turning it over? Somebody's going to eventually capitalize on it. So Joe Milton is the one thing that makes me super nervous here, and it's why I'm leaning Texas A&M in this ballgame. Specifically, Joe Milton's going to have to have a good game here because Tennessee's ground game was very important to them last year, and it's very important to them again this season, and if Joe Milton's going to have any kind of success, the ground game's got to get going. I think Texas A&M, who is stopping people 2.6 yards per carry on defense, if they're going to do that again here, if they're going to stifle Tennessee's rushing offense and they're going to put it all on the hands of Joe Milton, I think that obviously plays into the uh, is going to play into the hands of the uh, Texas A&M Aggies. The two leading rushers for Tennessee, 7.1 yards a carry, Jalen Wright and Jabari Small, 6.1 yards a carry, 53 for Small, and then Wright has 61 carries. Dylan Sampson is right behind them. He's got six touchdowns, but he's 6.9 yards a carry on 36 touches. So they've got three different guys they can throw at you. It'll be a full days of work for Texas A&M. But I think they're up to the challenge. You force Joe Milton to beat you in this game. And I'm in a position where until I see it, until I see it, I'm not willing to go too far out on a limb to think that it's going to happen. Texas A&M throws the football, or excuse me, runs the football really well themselves. And I don't see Tennessee stopping the run quite like maybe they have done before in the past. It's 3.1 yards a carry, so it's not like anybody's ran up and down on Tennessee yet this season. But I think if the Texas A&M defense is able to stop the rush against Tennessee and Joe Milton's forced to throw the football, I think Tennessee can, or Texas A&M, I'm sorry, can wear down Tennessee 
and uh, and pick up a win here. So I'm going to go Texas A&M to beat Tennessee this weekend in Knoxville, knock off a top 25 team. Rob likes Tennessee to win this ball game. So uh, I'm going to go with the uh, with the Aggies, and Rob will take uh, Tennessee. And I think we're actually going to be a little bit different on several games here uh, throughout our list of picks that we're going to be making. All right, North Carolina, Miami, our second game of uh, up for discussion here. Another top 25 matchup, number 25, Miami just hanging on by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin to a top 25 ranking after the very uh, frustrating upset loss there to Georgia Tech uh, with the kneel down and the uh, the video review and the refs not necessarily maybe doing the best job there. The video review aspect of that not doing the best job either with there being shown an elbow down before the ball came out on the Miami runner and Mario catching all the flack for not running or not kneeling the football. Now, obviously, if you still kneel it, then you don't have to worry about putting the ball, uh, putting the game into the hands of the referees. So it still stands. Kneel the ball, dude. But, of course, uh, there's lots of other things uh, at play there. This is going to be another big test for North Carolina's defense, who has played well so far through this portion of the season. I don't think they've been spectacular. They've not been uh, an over-the-top kind of group, but they have been playing much better here as of late. And I think if Miami is uh, the, the kind of task that they present themselves as. They've been playing really well, balanced offense. Obviously, Tyler Van Dyke has a lot of potential to be somebody at the top of uh, the NFL draft this upcoming uh, draft season. If that's the case, North Carolina has a really big test here. It'll be interesting to see exactly what they can do. I think the other key thing here is going to be and has to be Miami's state of mind. Where are they at mentally as a team? Uh, when it comes to bouncing back from what they had to deal with last week when in terms of the disappointing loss. Because initially, Mario might have thrown some things under the bus. Hey, hey, he's got to come out. We coach players to put two hands on the ball. And there were some things there that you could have a pause for concern on. Part of me says... Mario Cristobal was able to get Oregon going enough that Oregon was competing for Pac-12 championships. I imagine that's not a fluke. He's going to be able to get this Miami team together enough that they're going to bounce back from that performance against Georgia Tech. The other thing that's going to be difficult here for Miami is Drake May is starting to heat up. He's got eight touchdowns on the season. Four of them have come in the last two games with no inter, uh, no interceptions. And he's got six touchdowns in the last three games, and I think there's one interception in there. So Drake May has started to heat up over the last three weeks. They had a really good game. I believe it was in their contest against um, Syracuse this last go-around. So if that's going to be the case, Drake May's heating up then I think it's going to go a long way to giving North Carolina a chance to stay undefeated. 
Miami's not exactly stretching the field with their number one wide receivers. They've got several guys that are stretching the field this year, 17 or so yards per catch uh, for those North Carolina receivers. And I'm going to grab those names here. I believe that is uh, J.J. Jones. And then you've also got Kamari Morales and then John Copenhaver, if I'm saying that correctly. Now, Copenhaver only has six catches for 106 yards, but that still comes out to being pretty explosive. Morales, very similar, eight catches, 139 yards. Again, 17 yards there for him. And then J.J. Jones is kind of the only go-to guy that is really stretching the field on a consistent basis in terms of who they're going to. 18 catches, 318 yards. Their two other wide receivers, 12.7, 12.8. I'm wondering about the explosiveness of the Miami, or excuse me, the North Carolina offense. And if they're struggling on that end of things, does that present an opportunity for Miami to kind of load up against the run, which North Carolina does very, very well, North Carolina running the football with their uh, main guys, or Omarion Hampton, 5.2 yards a carry, and then British Brooks is averaging 4.1 yards a carry. So their two running backs are doing a pretty good job. Drake May is also uh, carrying the ball 52 times so far on the season for 3.3 yards a carry, so we got to keep that in mind. But in terms of just running the football, they do a good job. So can Miami load up against the run, play well enough in the back end to prevent this offense from getting unbelievable or going off and going crazy. I think that's very much a possibility for the Miami Hurricanes who have got to go on the road and sort of put themselves in a make or break spot of the of the year. They can't I don't know if you want to have the loss to Georgia Tech and then come here and have this loss as well and lose two games in a row. That would be that could really hurt your season from an overall standpoint, and who knows what goes on the rest of the season. Now, if they come out and, and fight hard and it's a last-second loss on the last play of the game or something, then maybe you moral victory, I guess. I don't know if you're in that position if you're Miami, but maybe you can take some take something from it there. But ultimately, it feels like Miami has its back up against the wall, and this is kind of a make-or-break spot for them in a major way. So I am taking the Hurricanes. I think with the mentality crumble or rally after the performance this past weekend, the way that game ended against Georgia Tech, I think they rally. I think they circle the wagons. I think Tyler Van Dyke comes out and plays really well. On the road here, this North Carolina defense has not historically been great, and under Matt Brown at least. And I think Tyler Van Dyke and this group has the uh, has the opportunity to open things up here and really get it going against uh, against Miami or against uh, I'm sorry North Carolina. On the ground, Henry Parrish and Donald Cheney. 6.4 yards a carry, 5.7 yards a carry, and then Ajay Allen is added 29 carries, 5.1 yards a carry. Mark Fletcher, 24 carries, 5.5 yards a tote. So you got five different guys there that are averaging 5.5 or 5.1 yards per carry or better on 24 carries or more for the season. 
So you've got a lot of different people involved in the ground game for Miami. I think that could go a long way for the Canes as well. So give me Miami to beat North Carolina on the road. A big uh, upset victory after the upset loss. An upset victory for the uh, for the Hurricanes. All right, so Rob likes North Carolina in this ball game. Would not be surprised if North Carolina won the ball game. Of course, these two teams I think are are pretty evenly matched. All right, and then we've got also UCLA at Oregon State for this weekend. Another really big uh, top 25, top 15, or excuse me, top 20 matchup. Number 15, Oregon State hosting number 18, UCLA. This game makes me nervous as well. I think the betting, this is one of the ones that I'm definitely for sure, the betting uh, numbers really do have these two teams dead even with one another. And this is another one similar to Texas A&M and Tennessee. Oregon State's running the football really, really well. UCLA is stopping the ground game really, really well so far this season as well. Remember what UCLA was able to do when it came to uh, Utah, holding uh, the Utah Utes to just 2.1 yards a carry. Now, obviously, that helps with Cam Rising being out of that ball game. DJU is definitely here in this ball game, and Oregon State's featuring a two-headed running attack with their key running uh, with their key quarterback, who's also contributing on the ground as well. He's got five rushing touchdowns that leads the team. DJU does. But Damian Martinez, Deshaun Fenwick, 6.5 yards a carry, 5.7 yards a carry, respectfully. 58 carries for Fenwick, 90 for Martinez. They really like to feature the ground game. DJU only 152 passing attempts so far on the season. I get the overwhelming sense that Georgia, or excuse me, Oregon State just needs to be patient here. Be patient with your ground game. Be patient with the way that you want to attack. Wear this UCLA team down. Play very smart defensively and try to take advantage of opportunities when they're presented. Which leads me to UCLA, Dante Moore, who has not been great the last two weeks playing against Power 5 competition. You go back to the Coastal Carolina game at the beginning of the year. Wasn't great in that ball game either. The two times he's been better, San Diego State and their FCS opponent. And then it was back to, again, these last two conference games where Dante Moore has not played particularly well. Well below 60% pass completion, around the 53-58% pass completion. When he has completed passes, though, they have gone for yards. So you feel like he's, he's chipping away at it to some degree. The completion percentage has got to rise signif- uh, much. It's got to rise much higher than where it's sitting at. But Dante Moore is one of the things that makes me very concerned in this ball game, and it's why I think Oregon State just really has to be patient and do your and, and play mistake free football. And you could end up with a Utah kind of win here that uh, Oregon State got not too long ago wearing that team down and pulling away from them there towards the end. 21-7 to was that victory. And, of course, you remember on the ground, they were able to pull off 131 yards against that really good Utah defense, 3.6 yards a carry. Doesn't sound like an overwhelming number, but that's 
a first down every, you know, three carries. So if Oregon State can be really patient here, I think that that goes a long way. DJ, you just had a really great game against California, six touchdown passes. If he can, and I believe 60-something percent pass completion, 75% pass completion. So if he can come through with those kind of numbers again here against UCLA, I think that goes a long way for uh, the Beavers to get the home win and knock off UCLA in a game that's really, really close between these two teams. Would not be surprised if UCLA were to be the winner here. But give me Oregon State to knock off UCLA or to fend off UCLA uh, there at home, Dante Moore maybe being the um, the fault that um, keeps UCLA from uh, getting this big win that they would definitely need. The one thing I'll say in closing, if UCLA does win this game, I think it's because their ground game gets going in a big way. DJU played well against California. The run defense for Oregon State did not play well against California. 7.3 yards per carry allowed, three touchdowns allowed, 241, and that would be on 33 carries. So by far the worst rushing defense performance for Oregon State in that game against California. If that carries over here to UCLA, you might not have to rely on Dante Moore to do a whole lot for you because this UCLA ground attack that has been good at times this season, you don't have to worry about it. You will, you just won't have to worry about it because they've uh, they've been explosive their share of the time so far this season. All right, so that leads us to the USC and Notre Dame game that is coming up. Ooh, excuse me. Where is Robbo's pick for this weekend? Uh, Oregon State. He likes UCLA in this ball game. Uh, on there in the Pac-12, which is shaping up to be a great conference so far this season. So uh, Rob likes UCLA. I've got Oregon State. USC going to Notre Dame. Number 10, USC at Notre Dame. This one also has a chance to be a blowout. I think Texas A&M, Tennessee has blowout potential. North Carolina, Miami has some blowout potential. If North Carolina's crumbling after last week's mistake, North Carolina could certainly run away from them if they're not careful. And this game, I think, has runaway potential. But it's in one direction, much like the two others are, I think. USC can run away from Notre Dame here. If Notre Dame's winning this game, it's probably 40-35. to 35. And we'll come back to that, I think, here in just a moment. The reason I think this could be a runaway game is the same reason you think that as well, or you would agree with me, or you could see it as well, because this Notre Dame offense has been bleak these last few weeks. USC's defense is not the defense of Duke or Louisville or Ohio State. Sam Hartman should have an opportunity to sort of uh, relax this weekend when standing in the pocket, a, at least a little bit. I do think North uh, U.S. Excuse me, USC has done a good job getting tackles for loss, and they've done a good job with uh, a sack rate 
on the season as well. So the rest of that defense, though, there should be some opportunities to get this passing game going for Sam Hartman. That's been such a hard thing to get going these last few weeks. But I don't think you want to get into a shootout if you're Notre Dame. I think you want to take the passes when you need to, and you're controlling this game with the rushing attack that you should be able to dominate with. And by dominate, I mean control the ball game, control the tempo of the game, really milk the clock as much as you can, but you have to score. If you're going to play the possession game, if you're going to try to take possessions, you better score. Nor uh, I believe it was the Kansas City Chiefs in a Super Bowl not too long ago. Somebody was trying to take the ball away from them. Somebody was trying to play the possession game, and it didn't matter because every time Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City touched the football, they went and scored. If USC goes and scores every time they touch the football, then it might not matter if you play the possession game. The one reason why I think the possession game will work is because my uh, USC has done their share of napping during ball games, taking a long time to get going against Arizona early on, taking a long time to kind of wake up and snap out of it against Colorado late. If there is a 15-minute period of this game, 10-minute period of this game where USC falls asleep, Notre Dame has to capitalize there. And maybe, maybe if that pops up for USC, Notre Dame can come through with the possession game, keep it away from USC, and maybe stretch that sleeping period out. You stretch out the rust. You stretch out whatever it is that they're having a hard time with. Maybe you can stretch that out because you play keep away. You hold on to the football. You give them less opportunities to figure it out. That could be the difference here. I've got Notre Dame winning against USC. I have a hard time seeing them lose uh, another ball game. Notre Dame's played so well. And USC seems to have been messing around too much you know, going to sleep at times. The caveat, of course, is Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams can make up for a lot. A whole lot. Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, also quarterbacks for Lincoln Riley, of course, were able to make up for a lot at Oklahoma. Especially in the regular season. Caleb Williams is another one of those guys. Heard somebody write already this week, maybe one of the best 15 quarterbacks on the planet. Caleb Williams. So this could be an interesting ball game to watch. And it could be fun from just that standpoint, that if Notre Dame is successful holding on to the football and playing the keep away game, it could be really fun to just watch Caleb Williams if he's red hot go out there and score in 90 seconds and say, go ahead. It could be a fun performance to see him with limited possession still go out and be ridiculously efficient and productive and explosive. 
we'll see. I like Notre Dame to win the ball game, but would not be surprised if uh, Caleb Williams and USC run away with this one, or at least win this one. All right, so that brings us to the big game of the weekend. Again, Rob's pick is also Notre Dame here for this Pac-12 um, contest. All right, so that brings us to the Oregon-Washington matchup, the big matchup of the weekend, the top 10 matchup of the weekend. Number eight, Oregon going on the road, could be key, to number seven, Washington. Two of the biggest offenses in the country. I think the number one and the number three scoring offense. USC is the number one scoring offense. So all of those residing in the Pac-12. So the number two, Washington, against the number three, Oregon, scoring offenses in the country. I think if you're Oregon, you would prefer this not to be a track meet, similar to Notre Dame. I think you want to kind of control this ball game a little bit with your ground game and see if you can't do a little bit of keep away and limit the opportunities for Michael Penix. Use your ground game to the best of your ability, and Washington's not been super great against the ground attack. Plus, Bo Nix hasn't been super great throughout his career on the road. I had these numbers pulled up earlier, and let me grab them one more time here just to make sure we get them correct. But Bo Nix in his career on the road is looking at, I believe it's 20 total interceptions on the road. Yeah, so we're looking at 20 interceptions, 34 touchdowns. That's road it's true road games and neutral site games. True road games, 15 interceptions in his career. So five extra ones there in neutral site games. But when he's at home, 49 touchdowns and only four interceptions. These last two seasons, while at Oregon, the numbers have obviously been much, much better. I think it's 18 touchdowns and six interceptions. But it's still a drastic drastically different. You get a different Bo Nix when he's on the road. So far this season, Bo's got six touchdowns on the road and no interceptions. He's been very good so far on the road. But of course, you would look at the log, you would look at the games and think, yeah, well, that's not been against a whole lot of uh, top-end teams. He He threw two touchdowns against Texas Tech and no interceptions. 73 pass uh 73% pass completion and then when he was on the road at Stanford 84% pass completion for more touchdowns 290 yards Stanford nobody's really going to blink an eye at that you're not going to get a whole lot of uh credit for that road performance because Stanford has not been great now for the last several years but that Texas Tech game when things are nip and tuck things are close he played well Kept his composure, 73% pass completion. That's as good as you can ask for. 359 yards on 44 attempts. That ain't bad. That ain't bad at all. And two touchdowns. Also nine carries for 46 yards. 5.1 yards a carry. He's played well on the road in a fight. A fight that you weren't expecting. 
So I'd like to believe maybe he has shaken some of that road, uh, you know, those road woes. Michael Penix and this Washington offensive line is going to be really key. They've got to do a good job, which they have been doing a good job so far this year, in protecting Penix. I think there's only three sacks that they've allowed total. Two of those were this past week or this past game that they played. Oregon's defensive line has been very good so far this week, so that uh, line of scrimmage up front will be very important to watch. How does Michael Penix and this group work with uh, getting the ball out, getting it out quickly, and obviously trying to stretch the field at the same time as well? Washington won last year's back-and-forth affair, I think 37-34. to 34. Go back, and if you get a chance tomorrow at some point, go back and rewatch that game as a preview because last year's matchup was pretty good between uh, these two teams. I think Oregon, excuse me, Washington won the first half 13-10, to 10, and then it was tied, uh, a scoring tie of 21 each in the second half. So the three points there in that first half for uh, for Washington uh, ended up being the difference. I do think if Bo Nix has a slippage here, then you could end up in the, this um, back-and-forth affair. Washington at home, I'm going to take the home team. Give me Washington to get the win here. I'll be just as uh, pleased if, if, if Oregon's able to win this game. I'm all for it. I feel like I've been on a Bo Nix sort of revival tour these last uh, these la- last year and, and even into this year as well. So if he can continue to play well, I think that that's great. I hope that he does, even if they do lose this ballgame and Washington wins it. But I'm expecting maybe Michael Penix not to make as many mistakes. Bo Nix maybe makes one or two, and it ends up uh, there with, uh, and it doesn't have to be interceptions, just anything that could happen. Uh, there. So give me Washington, give me the home team to take on uh, and beat Oregon there in the uh, what should be the game of the weekend. So that gives me Washington. Rob likes the uh, Oregon Ducks to go on the road and get the big win uh, there in uh, Spokane. All right, so we've also got um, several other games here. To pick Florida State, Syracuse. Florida State's sort of been quiet for a while. They got the big win over Clemson, and they've, uh, and obviously the big win over LSU. But other than that, there's kind of been these moments where we've sort of been, I don't know, Florida State's got a lot of impressive stuff going on, but they've also had some games that have kind of left you scratching your forehead. Syracuse lost their their last game, I think, to North Carolina, who's playing this weekend in a big game, and lost it pretty bad. So I think we'll take, uh, I'll take Florida State. Rob likes Florida State here as well. Auburn at LSU. This is always a funky game. You got to keep this game on. If you're doing multi-screens or multi-televisions, multiple televisions, then uh, you got to keep this game on when you can. Um, It's always funky between these two teams. It's in Baton Rouge. LSU should win this ball game, but you got to believe that Hugh Freeze and Auburn continue to work, continue to figure things out, and LSU's defense has not been great. The one thing 
that is going to potentially win this and maybe win it big for use uh, for LSU is the fact that they can go out and almost score at will, thus creating a staring contest. And you've just got to not blink if you're LSU and wait for the other team to blink, and then you'll get a chance to uh, you know, distance yourself. Because you think the more, if they blink once, they're likely to blink again, and then again, and then again. And those are mistakes. And then you run away with the ball game because they're pressing too much on offense to try to keep up. I like LSU to do that here to this Auburn team. Although, don't be shocked if Auburn keeps it close a little bit early on as uh, the Tigers have been playing good defense so far this season. So Florida State and LSU, me and Rob both like those two teams, ranked teams, uh, playing at home this weekend. Syracuse for the Knolls, Tigers for the Tigers. Auburn for LSU. All right, uh, speaking of the Tigers, Missouri is headed to take on the Wildcats, number 25, uh, Kentucky. And I think I might have written some stuff down here because I've got number 25, Miami, and number 25, Kentucky. So somebody's somebody's wrong there on my note sheet. But either way, Kentucky's still hanging on to their top 25 ranking as well after getting pummeled by Georgia. Rob likes Kentucky here. And noted, let's see how they do when they're not playing against the top uh, ranked team in the country, who's you know entering, uh, you know, elite status mode, if you will. I don't know though. Devin Leary has not been great so far this season. He's been a wild disappointment. If you had to rank the top ten disappointments right now in college football, Devin Leary's in there. I don't know if he's number one. I don't think certainly he's not number one, but he's somewhere in that list of top 10 disappointments, especially if you're Kentucky, he's number one on the list because they've expected him to be a lot better than he has, not just playing out of sync, but missing wide open receivers, whether those, whether those receivers are in the end zone or they're just a five-yard hitch for a first down. He's missing these things. And even even in some of the cases, I think there was a game, maybe it was the Florida game where he had a receiver drop a, a touchdown in the back of the end zone. You still think to yourself, man, that could have been a better throw. Now, the receiver put two hands on it. He's got to catch it. The quarterback did enough to get the touchdown going. The receiver made the mistake there. But you also think that could have been a better ball to uh, what felt like a pretty wide open receiver there in the back of the end zone. So Rob likes Kentucky. I'll take Missouri and Brady Cook and uh, Luther Burden in bunch to win that game there in Lexington. Uh, NC State at number 17, Duke. Riley is going to be out of this ball game. It's kind of hard to take Duke in that, in that case. NC State's been playing pretty well so far this season. Rob likes NC State. I'll take the Wolfpack here as well. So that's uh, that are those are all of the ball games that we have for this week. Texas A&M at Tennessee. Rob likes Tennessee. I like A&M. We both like Florida State over Syracuse. Uh, Syracuse, I'm sorry. We both like number 22 LSU over Auburn. We're split on Miami at North Carolina. Rob likes the Tar Heels. I'm taking the Hurricanes. We're also split Missouri and Kentucky. Rob's going to take the Wildcats. I'll take Missouri. We both like NC State over Duke. 
We're split on Oregon at Washington. I'll take the Huskies. Rob likes the Ducks. We both like Notre Dame to, uh, to upset USC at home. And then we're split on UCLA and Oregon State. Rob likes the Bruins. I'll take the Beavers. We'll take a one last look here at the at the list of games for the upcoming weekend. Just if there's any other contest worth mentioning, and I think there's at least one or two group of five games to keep an eye on for Saturday. Tulane and Memphis. That was the one I think I was trying to reference, or at least one of the ones I was trying to reference at the beginning of the show. 7 p.m. on Friday, Tulane. Memphis, both teams are 4-1 and one there in the American. Now on Saturday, Arkansas at Alabama will be another one. Florida, South Carolina will be one to keep an eye on. You've also got Indiana and Michigan, Purdue and Ohio State. Again, not necessarily key matchups, but those are top five teams to keep an eye on. Uh, Georgia Southern at 12 o'clock on ESPN2, 5-0 James Madison. Both of those are Sunbelt teams to keep an eye on there if you're interested in group of five matchups. I thought there was one more game here that was featuring group of fives. And I'm still scrolling. Oh, Iowa and Wisconsin. 5-1 and one Iowa, 4-1 and one Wisconsin. That's one game that we didn't talk about. Probably could have picked that ball game. And I apologize to Robbo. Part of me feels like we would both be picking Wisconsin to win that game. Iowa is not great offensively. I don't think Rob would mind me uh, making a pick for him there uh, <laughs> with Wisconsin and Iowa. If we wanted to round out, uh, round out our deal with, uh, with 10 picks. Marshall and Georgia State. I knew I was thinking of Marshall this weekend. ESPN 2, 7 p.m., both 4-1 and one in the Sun Belt as well. Marshall at Georgia State. I think that was the last game to look at. Oh, no. No, it's not. 7 p.m., also 7 p.m. Other games are going on, so you're not going to be watching these. But if you find yourself on these games for some reason, if you've got multiple screens and you want to put them on, I think it would be great. Mountain West. Undefeated Wyoming in the in the Mountain West, undefeated Air Force overall, and in the Mount, uh, of course, overall is would be in the Mountain West as well. But uh, five and one Wyoming overall, five and zero oh Air Force in Air Force uh, there in um, Colorado could be a lot of fun. Wyoming Air Force, another Group of Five matchup that should be pretty good for this weekend. So lots and lots of games. What is that? I think we got up to ten. 11, 12, 13 or so really quality games to keep an eye on here in week seven. So should be a good one for Saturday. Be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe. One more time, we tip our cap uh, to the newest member of the Stelton Pole and uh, Rich Tradition family, Benjamin Grayson. We'll hear more about uh, him next week or next episode whenever we get a chance to, uh, to chit-chat with uh, Roberto. We'll catch you on the flip-flop. Later. Later.